All right, so Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when the people, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is God's word. So back in 2010, the candy bar company Snickers launched one of the most successful and most celebrated ad campaigns in recent years. And it all started with a commercial they aired During the Super Bowl that year, that featured a group of guys playing pickup football alongside the late actress and comedian Betty White. And in the commercial, Betty White, she goes out for a pass, and at the time, she's in her late 80s, so of course, she's not moving that swiftly. And the quarterback throws a pass her direction, and she reaches up her arms as far as she can, and she doesn't catch it, and she gets drilled to the ground. And as they huddle up, before the next play, uh, all the players are really frustrated. And one of them looks at her and says, Mike, you're playing like Betty White out there. And then someone immediately comes from the sideline and hands her a Snickers and she takes a bite and all of a sudden the camera pans back and she turns back into Mike. And then the commercial ends with the tagline, you're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. And you may remember this, they ran this for several years, and there were a lot of similar commercials to this, and the campaign was was huge for the company. It took Snickers to a whole new level as a brand. It caused them to increase their sales 16% in the first year, and it moved them past $1 billion in sales in the U.S. just by 2013. And so clearly something about this campaign spoke to us, like sure it was funny, but It also spoke to something deeper, our hunger, right? And the way it impacts us when we're hungry and how much we long to be satisfied. And now this passage that we're going to look at today is about hunger. The people here, they're wandering in the wilderness and they're hungry and they're not quite themselves, 
Right? They were just rescued through two miraculous events in the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. We looked at these the last two weeks. And we didn't look at this, but they also just experienced God's power turning water that was bitter into sweet. But now here they are. What was once gratitude has now turned to grumbling. But they don't want a Snickers. They cry out, oh, that we can have the meat pots that we used to have when we were back in Egypt. But this is about more than bread and meat. And commentators, they point out something that's easy to miss. As they cry out here, the people aren't crying out because they're actually about to starve. Because when, people, when God brought them out of Egypt, he sent their animals with them, including their cattle. And so they had the opportunity to have milk, to have cheese, meat, if they wanted it. And so this, this isn't about not having food. It's about not having the food they want. See, this is not ultimately about physical hunger. This is about what we could call the deeper hunger, the greater hunger, the hunger you and I have in our hearts, the longing we have to be truly satisfied, this longing that makes it so hard for us to be content with where we are and with what we have, this longing that we attach to all kinds of things around us, but they never fill us up. This longing that once led Henry David Thoreau to say the mass, men, the mass of men lead quiet lives of desperation. Or Bruce Springsteen in a song who once said, everybody's got a hungry heart. See, this is the second of three tests that God gives his people here in the wilderness where he's training them. Like a, a loving parent or mentor may test or, or challenge us to help us grow. He's trying to teach them and form them into the people he wants them to be. And here, through their demand for more food and through his providing, he's teaching them about how to be satisfied, about where real satisfaction comes from, about where you and I go with this deep hunger that we have. And so we're going to look at this today as a, a sort of lesson on being satisfied. Satisfaction is such an elusive thing, and here we can learn a lot about it. And so let's look at this in two ways. First, how we try to find satisfaction so how you and I try to deal with this hunger that we have. And then second, how God gives it to us, how he deals with this hunger. So first, let's think about how we try to find satisfaction. And there are two ways that we see in this passage, two strategies that we use we can pick up from the people here. And there, there are more we could talk about, but I know there are two here that I see a lot in my own life. And the first one is this, looking to the past in nostalgia looking to the past in nostalgia. Now, what is nostalgia? Well, Merriam-Webster Miriam, defines it as, quote, a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to or some past period of irrecoverable condition. And so it's looking to the past in a way that, that romanticizes it, that overemphasizes what was good and that underemphasizes what was bad. And this is, is like the textbook definition of that, what's going on here. And so if we go back to the end of chapter two, Moses, when they're in slavery, Moses tells us, here's what happened. That during those, days, many, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry of rescue for slave, from slavery came up to God. And so here they are in Egypt, enslaved. And what were they doing? They're groaning to God. Please rescue us. Save us, deliver us, get us out from where we are. Fast forward a little time, like we said, God has. He did hear their cry. He did 
step in. Through Moses and several demonstrations of his power, he did rescue them. But now here they are, groaning again, but this time they want to go back. Verse 1 of our passage says, They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So even after all this happened, a little adversity comes, things aren't quite the way they want them to be, they're sick of the food they have, they don't like camping in the wilderness anymore. And what do they remember when they think back about Egypt? Well, not their slavery, not their oppression, not that one time that Pharaoh ordered all their baby boys to be killed. What do they remember? They remember the meat pots, the all-you-can-eat bread buffet they used to have. It's comical, but it's such a great picture of how our hearts are never satisfied. And it's such a great picture of what we so often do to try to deal with that, right? We're somewhere we don't want to be. We look forward to getting somewhere else. We think that's going to do it for us. Then we get there and something's not quite right. Maybe it is something small like this we latch on to. And what do we do? We look back, but we do it in a way that's not completely honest. And so then we start to grumble about where we are now, thinking if I could only go back to this place in my past, then I would be satisfied, even though I wasn't actually satisfied when I was there. So I was thinking about this for me. Right after college, Sarah and I were living in Winston-Salem. I was starting to feel God stirring in my heart to come to seminary, to get into ministry. So I was thinking about it all the time. I was reading about it all the time. I had a good job at at that time and was getting good experience in the business world, but my mind was on what was coming next. And so then after a few years, we move here and I do start seminary and I'm pumped up about it, but it causes our life to slow down a lot. And so we're restarting friendships and community. I'm a full-time student. I'm no longer in this fast-paced problem-solving environment like I was Nobody's emailing me, asking for things. Like I'm, I'm just in class, I'm reading, and I'm writing papers. And so then I start to think, ah, maybe I should have stayed in that job I was in a few more years. I really miss it. Those were great people, and I was getting really good experience. And I would talk to Sarah about it, and she would lovingly remind me, like, Aaron, you were so, like, you hated that when you were there, right? And she was like, you used to sit on the couch after work and, and just say how much you couldn't wait to be in seminary. And then it became, man, I I just have to get through seminary and actually start working full time again. And then once I did, and my life was fast paced and I did have emails, I was solving problems again. I would look back and be like, man, that was really nice how slow it was. (laughs) And first full circle to today, like a few years ago, it was if I can just get to being a lead pastor, then I'll be there. That's it. But as as excited as I am about this opportunity to do that, I'll tell you, like, it's not going to be it. And I know as I move into this, and I experience more responsibility, and it's hard, I'm going to look back and be like, that would be nice if I had less responsibility. That's just what we do, right? And why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why do you do that? Well, because everybody's got a hungry heart, and it's a hunger, the perfect job, the perfect living situation, the perfect relationship, the perfect life stage, the perfect body, like none of it can satisfy 
And so we often go searching for it in the past. In nostalgia like this, we say our own version of verse 3, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So that's the first way we see here that we try to find this satisfaction on our own. And then there's a second way we see that we try to find it too as we move through this story. Not only do we look to the past in nostalgia, but we also look to the future in anxiety. And so what happens when the people grumble like they do about their hunger to God and all that they used to have in Egypt? Well, he responds with grace. Look at verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And one of my favorite things about getting to preach God's word is the opportunity to, to get to remind myself and all of you how different God is from the way we naturally think he is. Because how would you expect God to, to respond to such like a childish complaint like this? Well, not this way. Because he's so gracious and he's so kind as he accommodates their requests and provides for them like he does. And he tells them he's going to provide this bread for them called manna, which literally means what is it? He's going to provide this for them each day. And on the sixth day of the week, he's going to give them enough for two days. And you see this in the middle section we didn't read, verses 13 through 21. But one of the unique features of this bread is that it doesn't last long. For days one through five, it only lasts a day. For day six, it lasts two days. And so God wanted them on days one through five to gather just enough for that day. And then on day six to gather just enough for that day and the next so that they could rest. But they have, they have such a hard time with this. And you see in verse 19, Moses said to them, he's giving them the instructions. He says, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But then verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. And then verse 25, Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. So he's giving instructions about the Sabbath, the sixth day, gathering twice as much to the Lord. Today, you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? And so they can't do it. Right? Not all of them, but, but some of them, they ignore God's instruction. They, they get a little more than what they, just, what they need for that day, you know, just in case. And planning ahead, of course, is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. The Proverbs talk about the wisdom in looking to the future and planning ahead. But it's also one of the easiest ways you and I try to grasp for control of our lives. To attach ourselves to some plan that's going to make everything okay. There's this great scene from season six of The Office when Dunder Mifflin is on the verge of potentially going bankrupt and Michael is invited by uh, David Wallace, the CFO, to the shareholders meeting in New York City. And of course, Michael is so excited to go. He can't wait. He, he's envisioning a celebration of sorts uh, because his branch has stood out and has continued to be successful. But when they get there and, and he walks into the room and the meet, uh, where the meeting is held, everybody there, all the shareholders just immediately boo. 
and they're really angry because they're anxious and they want answers for what's going to happen. They're nervous about the company. And the meeting goes terribly, but right before they go on break, Michael, much to the chagrin of the other um, leaders of the company, gets on the mic and promises they're not going to go bankrupt because they're going to come back with a plan. They're going to come back with a 45-day, 45-point, one-point-per-day plan that's going to bring them back on track. And even though he doesn't share any of the details of the plan, and there's no logic whatsoever behind it that he gives them, the people latch onto it. And they start to cheer. And by the end, they're, they're really cheering. And they're giving him like a standing ovation. And, and of course, Michael is loving it. Um, but then he goes back to the meeting and says, all right, what's our plan? Right? But it's this great picture of what we do. So often we take our hunger, our longing to be satisfied in a deep way, and we attach it to a plan. We do look back, but we also look forward. And, and we think, if I can just do this, if I can just figure this out, if I can just get everything under control, then I'll be okay. If I can just figure out my financial situation, if I can just figure out my schedule with the kids, where they're going to go to school, what activities they're going to do, if I can just figure out my career path. right? But we all know from our experience that all that actually does is just make you more anxious and have to come up with another plan and another plan. It's never-ending. And so this is how we try to deal with this on our own, how we try to deal with this hunger. But what is God teaching us here? How, how does he want to deal with this? How does he want to give us this satisfaction that we're longing for? Well, he invites us to another way, not to look back in nostalgia or to look forward in anxiety, but to do this, to depend on him in the present. And that's, that's really what this story is about at its core. God is teaching this people, I want you to depend on me in every day. I didn't save you so you can then go and live a life independent of me where you have to figure out everything on your own, but I saved you for relationship, a relationship of dependence, a relationship where you bring your hunger to me, not only what you need physically, but this deep hunger that you have, this deep longing to be satisfied. I want you to do that, to bring that to me, and I want you to do that all the time because I'm the only one who can truly satisfy you. Not your circumstances, not the perfect life on earth as you envision it, but me. Me as your provider, me as your protector, me as your gracious and loving heavenly father. And verse 35 near the end of this passage tells us they did this for 40 years. Like God instituted this and then he said, I'm, I'm gonna do this for 40 years because it's gonna take that long to train you in this, that you're not on your own. You come to me to get this, me to feed you. And this is what God is continuing to teach us. It's still what he wants to teach you and I today, but through a better bread from heaven, a truer bread that's come down. In John chapter six, John tells the story of another miraculous feeding of a group of hungry people where Jesus Christ comes and this big crowd surrounds him, this large group of over 5,000 people, and he feeds them with five loaves of bread and two fish. And not surprisingly, the people get excited about it and, and they remember their history. They think about this story. And they start to wonder if this is gonna become a regular thing, if this guy Jesus is gonna continue to show up and, and provide these, these great free meals like this. 
But as they're talking, Jesus explains to them that it's about a lot more than the fish and the bread he just gave them. And so in John 6, verse 31, they say, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But then Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, through the manna in the wilderness, God began to teach his people where true satisfaction really comes from. But through the true manna, the bread from heaven, God has given us the only food that can truly satisfy us the bread of life that came down to be broken, the bread of life that came to experience death, who gave up his satisfaction and who hungered and who thirsted on the cross so that we can be filled up, so that you and I can have life and have it to the full, so that the hunger you and I have that never seems to be satisfied, no matter what we do, actually can be. And why? Because in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus came to reconnect us to God to heal this deep ache we've had ever since we were cast out of the garden. This longing to be home, this longing to be with him. And now when we trust him by his spirit, he comes and he heals that and he lives within us. He's that close. I love the way Tim Chester says it in his commentary on this passage, the way he talks about this. He says that Jesus doesn't always give us what we want, but he meets our deepest needs. He gives us identity, fulfillment, forgiveness, and relationship. But above all, he gives us life. He gives us a future, an eternal future in God's presence. Jesus gives us himself. And that is a gift that endures beyond death. Jesus is always enough for us. He can always satisfy us. And so then how do we actually do this? What does it look like to find satisfaction in him? Well, we need to do what the people of Israel do in our passage. We need to feed on him. We need to bring our longing to him, and we need to do it like they do every day and every week. Right? Think about it. They went out and gathered this bread every day, but then they also had a, a particular time that they did it every week in a special way, and, and we need to do the same thing. We need to be with Jesus every day. We need to depend on him every day, and th- this looks like a lot of different things, But at a minimum, it looks like spending time in his word, communing with him in prayer, being with his people in community, and and not as a a bunch of items on a to-do list you've got to check off, but in the context of relationship, as a a practice of dependence, as an overflow of bringing your daily hunger to him and, and knowing that he longs to fill you up and to satisfy you. But Then it also means we need him every week in a special way. Again, think about their practice of the Sabbath here. God wants them to trust and depend daily, but there's a unique practice of dependence on the seventh day to gather before so you can rest. And we need a practice like that too, to bring our hunger to Jesus in a special way once a week with a day set apart to worship and rest, to come here and worship and be in community, to establish our own different rhythms. And we'd love to talk with you more about that if you're interested of what that could look like for you. There's not one cookie cutter right way to do it. But the point is, God wants us. 
He wants our hearts. He wants, he wants your hunger today. He wants your, your longings, your desires. He doesn't want you to cut them off. He wants you and me to bring them to him and to depend on him and to trust in him to satisfy us in and through Jesus. And here's what happens when we do that. When we feed on Jesus instead of all these other things that we naturally do and our hearts are drawn to, but when we feed on him, we become ourselves once again. We become the men and women he created us to be. Our grumbling turns to gratitude. Our hungry hearts are are filled up and our our lives of quiet desperation become lives of of quiet trust. And, And that's the invitation this morning. And one I know I need desperately. And we have a chance to respond now as we come to this table where we literally get to feed on him by eating the bread, drinking the wine that remind us of everything we've been talking about, that Jesus is the true bread from heaven, the food that satisfies our hungry and longing hearts. From the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you every time you eat of it. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. And so if you're here today and you want this deep hunger to be satisfied, then I'd invite you to come. That's what Jesus does. He wants you to come and eat and drink so that he can fill you up by faith. So if that's you, all you need is your need. I would invite you to come. Uh, But if you're here and and you're not quite sure what you believe about Jesus and and if you're on board with this, that's okay. We're really glad you're here. Uh, But I would encourage you, instead of just doing what everybody else is doing and not really thinking about it, I would encourage you to actually take the time and reflect on what we've been talking about. And if you do have, if there is something that's that's keeping you from coming and from trusting him, what is that? And, And think about that. And maybe ask Jesus to show you and to reveal himself to you in a real and and fresh way. Uh, But if you're here and you're hungry, if you have a hungry heart and you want uh, Jesus to fill you up, this table's for you, I would invite you to come. Our practice is to come up front, receive the elements from the elders, and then go back to your seat, and then I'll come and and lead us as we take of them together. So the outer rings are going to be grape juice. Everything inside of that is real wine. Um, There'll be a gluten-free bowl up here that'll be open. If you need that, you can just come up once you get to the front of the line, grab that and go back to your seat. Uh, Well, let me pray for us if the officers will now come forward. Lord Jesus, thank you um, for this truth that we get to sit in this morning, uh, that you are the bread of life who came so that we may never hunger. Uh, We ask that now as we participate in this meal you've given us, that you would uh, use it to that end to fill our hungry hearts. And so we ask that your spirit would set apart these elements from their ordinary to their holy use. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can come as you feel led.